Good morning. Good morning. Um, glad that you can join us if this is your first time. I'm glad you're here. Uh, you can meet this ragtag group of believers in Jesus. Uh, but we love to be together. We love to worship Christ. And we love to eat together. We love to eat. So we want to invite you as well. Um, we're having our home, home fellowship. It's a time where we get in the word and we fellowship with one another. We think being a Christian is very difficult in this world. And we need each other to keep encouraged. And so what fellowship does, it's one of the anchors of the Christian faith. It allows us to partake of each other's life, share the gospel, integrate the gospel in our lives. Um, also, uh, we'll be having a, we're, we're having a couple of visitors um, next Sunday, so everybody's bringing food, so come along, and uh, if you don't have anything to bring, just eat. Just come and eat. Just bring a hungry belly and a hungry heart. Would you join with me in prayer before we start? Father in heaven, we, it's astounding the truth of it all. Now, why this fear and unbelief has not the Father put to grief his precious Son for us? Why do we fear? Why do we wallow in unbelief? Why do we wallow in doubt when we could come to the cross again and again and again? And to see the Savior who died for our sins. We pray, Father, that uh, we would not be discouraged even by the still remnant battle of sin that we have in our own lives. Our in inconsistencies when faced with our own hypocrisies. Thank you that uh, you show it to us, God. And we're able to repent of them and ask for forgiveness and yet get up again and walk. Why this fear and unbelief has not the Father. Uh, why this fear and unbelief has not the Father put to grief. His precious son for us. And so this morning we pray that you would open our ears to hear your word. May it not be simply a lecture. May it not be something that we simply just hear and learn. And maybe put in the back of our heads. But Father, may we grow from it, may we learn from it, may we, more importantly, grow closer to Christ. We don't want principles. We don't want tips on life. We want Christ. Only He can feed. And so we pray, Father, as desperate men and women and, and children, feed us through Your Word. Help us to hear Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. I remember when I was working and uh, my boss said, why do they keep calling us a cult? Why do they keep calling us a cult? And I was, I was wondering what she was talking about. She goes, I, I, I go to a church and Jesus Christ is in the name of my church. I said, what church do you go to? She goes, I, I go to the Church of Latter-day Saints, the Church of Jesus Christ. And... I started to explain to her that the Christ that you worship, Mormons believe that Christ is the twin brother of Lucifer, if you look into their theology, the twin brother of Lucifer, that he is a created being. I started to talk to her and I said, the Christ that you believe in is not the Christ of the Bible. And then right when I said that, it was a sharp change in our relationship. I remember it distinctly. Right? You see, 
the media and the world and friends and family are going to try and tell you that Jesus Christ is not that important. That the centrality of Christ, you know what, I even had relatives speak to me and I used to say you need to turn to Christ, you need to ask for forgiveness and repent and believe on Christ alone for salvation. And this dear relative of mine, my own mom, she said, I don't want to be a fanatic about Jesus. We praise the Lord she got saved later on after years and years of preaching. But it's that kind of view, that kind of mindset that militates against the Christian. That militates the believer against the believer in Christ. And so you're going to be faced with it. And as Christians, as men and women and young people in Christ, we have to be able to face and to walk in the truth. Everybody on Facebook, everybody on YouTube, everybody on Twitter is going to preach and teach with much passion and tears and anger, much pathos, but there is no clarity in it. Everybody believes this and believes that. There's no clarity on Christ. They think he's just one teacher of another. They think he's just another human teacher. They don't hold on to the centrality, the beauty, the wonder, the majesty of this Savior who died for us, who sets us free. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to take a big swath, a big portion of Scripture this morning. I'm going to read this again. Children, it is the last hour. Notice how John says children as he speaks to those. He is the aged apostle uh, in the island of Patmos. He is exiled and he speaks to his spiritual children. He cares for them as a father cares for them. He loves them. He says, children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist, singular, is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are all not of us. Verse 20. But you, Christian, you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know. Verse 21. I have not written to you. Because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son, read this, whoever denies the Son, does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Verse 25. This is the promise which he himself made to us eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. Verse 27. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, 
And just as it has taught you, you abide in him. I believe God is speaking to you today through this scripture, through this word, so that you would live in the truth of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So that you would live in the truth in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We know that John is outlining what is authentic Christianity. He's talked about walking in the light. And part of walking in the light is not only walking in truth, but living in truth. And now he's going to focus his eyes here on doctrinal content, on doctrinal truth. And he will talk about how that affects life. But in this portion, he's talking about who do people think that Christ is? This is the million dollar question. You cannot get this question wrong. If you get this question wrong, your eternity hangs in the balance. Okay. Now to live in the truth of the person and work of Jesus Christ, there are three responsibilities you must hold on to. He's going to talk about three responsibilities with the truth. And the first responsibility is, number one, you must protect the truth. Yes, you must protect the truth. As one who has received the truth of God, you can't be naive to think that it's going to be easy, easy smeezy all the way through your whole life. This is not going to be a walk in the park. Uh, I remember it's, 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 it's kind of, um, I kind of smile when uh, I love it when someone comes to Christ. And I love the joy that they have. And I love the initial zeal. I love it. And then they go out and they share the gospel with the, their coworkers or their family or their, uh, their uh, classmates. And as they go out, they're excited. They think, all, I was just like that. I think, all I have to do now is just speak the gospel and everybody will get saved. Right? And I went out and, man, I was faced with the reality and it, it, and it makes me smirk a little when someone comes, they actually hate Jesus. I said, yes, they actually do. You can talk all you want about morality. You understand that? You can talk all you want about principles, life principles. You can talk all you want about family and how marriages should be and how child rearing should be and how good work principles. You can talk all you want about that. In fact, churches, there are many churches that just center on all of these principles. But when you bring up the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that he is the great divider of all things. And believers will cling, and deniers will walk away. And so, God calls us to protect the truth. And how do you do that? Well, You've got to know the times that you're in. Know the times. Notice in verse 18, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18, he says, Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. Now John is talking about the end time. Okay, But there is an end time to the end time. Okay. When he says the last hour, he is talking about this age starting from when Christ has come. This age that we are at right now. And he is saying Antichrist, Antichrist singular. And I don't have time to go and talk about eschatology. But Antichrist singular is this one figurehead 
who will come before the tribulation, who will come and who will, bring, who will go against Christ himself. He will come and try and take the throne himself. This Antichrist will come. But what he is talking about when he says Antichrist in the plural, even now many Antichrists have arisen, these are folks who, in the same line of the Antichrist that did deny his deity, okay, when we talk about Christ, we talk about the person and work. When we say his person, that Jesus is completely God and completely man. He has taken on the nature of man onto his person. He is one person, the God-man forever and ever. Okay? And so now John is going to talk about that. But um, as he talks about that, there will be deniers of that reality. And anyone who fits as a denier of that reality, the Bible calls Antichrist. There is the Antichrist, singular, and then there's Antichrist, plural, who in the spirit, in the very principle of unbelief, carry the same thing as the Antichrist. It comes straight from the Greek, Antichristos, meaning against Christ, against Christ. And so he says, know the times. No, we know. It's been over 2,000 years, right? Since Christ has been crucified. And the attacks of Christ have been over and over and over and over. And doesn't it feel like it now? Brother and sister. Don't you feel like when you speak the name of Christ, people just, I, I, I was at a party last night. I, I, uh, I know a bunch of Marines and, and uh, one of my good friends, he's a, he's a Navy doctor and he, he invites a bunch of Marines there. So I go to the party with my wife and um, because we want to share the gospel of Christ. And so we go there and I say, honey, at 8.30 we got to go because I got to preach, right? But we go, I don't want to be antisocial. And there's a lot of folks there. And so we go. And it, it invariably comes to the point of what do you do for lim a living, right? So as I'm sharing with the Marines and with the, the naval doctors and the naval staff, all the medical staff there, right? They're all there. Um, as we start talking, they start asking, well, what do you do? I start asking, what do you do? And they start asking, what do you do? I say, I'm a pastor, and I came here to plant a church. End of conversation. <laughs> Face changes. Oh, really? You, can't, you moved to San Diego? I'm going to get more pot stickers. I'll, I'll see you later. That's what they say. When we stop, start to talk about the things of Christ, okay, what happens is the unbeliever, the antagonism begins to rise to the surface. Okay? It's kind of like someone who says they're not mad at somebody, but they're really mad. You know, Like they say, uh, are you mad at that person? No, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I just don't want to hang out with them. I don't want to be around them. I don't want to. I don't want to breathe the same air as them, right? I don't want to be around them. Oh, oh, everything's cordial. And then when you're in the same room, right? I can't stand that person's guts, right? That's sinful, and I understand that. But this is exactly what happens when we start to talk about the things of Jesus, 
everybody accepts good principles, truth, and integrity. Everyone accepts all these things. Both political parties talk about it all the time. You speak the name of Christ, that he is the only way to salvation, that he is fully God and fully man, then people get upset. This is the age we live in. This is the air we breathe in. They always mock Christians on sitcoms, don't they? Oh, you're one of those. It is the last hour. Not only should you know the times, be wise, brothers and sisters. But you should also know the signs. Know the signs. And it says here, they went out very clearly. It just says depart. That's all the translation means. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. Now, before I talk about this, I, I want to talk about how not to apply this. Okay, This is how not to apply this. You don't say, oh, because they left RBC, they're not Christians. That is not how you apply this. Okay, What we're talking about is they went out from us, which means they have left Christ. They have left a church body, yes, but they've never gone to another church. They never want to seek Christ. They never want to follow him anymore. They're in unrepentant, habitual unbelief or functional atheism, okay? They just functionally live as an atheist. It says they went out from us, but they're not really of us. What does this mean? It means a break in doctrine. They no longer hold to the deity of Christ or they no, no longer hold to his lordship over their lives. He's not my Lord. I don't want to be accountable. It means no longer holding to the person of Christ. As we see here later on, he says, this is the Antichrist, verse 22, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son, denies his person, denies his work. They no longer hold to the complete work of Christ. We have a, uh, I have a good friend. You know, as I got saved in high school and as I was in youth group, this guy, I always looked up to him. Uh, and as he grew up with me, he, he, was, he was born in a Christian home. He was raised. And as he grew in that, as he grew in that, I always looked up to him. And then I found out in college, he no longer held to justifi justification by grace alone. He no longer held to the supremacy of Christ, that Christ is the only exclusive way for salvation. He blogs about, and he... He's arrogant about how he doesn't believe in that anymore. He mocks Christ's work. And as we see that now, that's an example here of they went out from us, but they were not really of us. There's a break in doctrine. Notice it doesn't say they lost their salvation. Okay, Notice how it doesn't say that. It doesn't lose salvation. It says they, they weren't really one of us. They weren't really a Christian. They were not really saved. Okay. Then it says here, they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. Okay. Now, so the Bible, look at the text. Okay. I'm not making this up. I'm not creating this. This is what God's word says. He says, they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. 
and God's revealing way, right? The way he manifests spiritual life or spiritual death, okay? One of the ways is this. He says, they just leave. They just leave. And the, the sadness of it all, my wife and I have, have been talking to our, our kids about it, that when we got saved, there were many, many who professed faith in Christ. And we were, we were in discipleship with them. And we, were, we went to summer camps with them. And we did winter camps with them. And we went to church with them. And we always hung out with them. But then as restraints of parenthood were released, as the parents started to let them go, as they started to grow up, and they were set more free, they never, ever came back to church. They never, ever came back to Christ. They never came under the lordship of Christ. Why? Because they were never saved. And I know this runs against, this runs against modern day evangelicalism. I know that. But this is what the Bible says. Could it be that the person who said they got saved when they were eight, yet never goes to church, never reads the Bible, never wants to be around other Christians, could it be not that they lost their salvation, not that they've been struggling for 30, 40 years? They were never of us. Why is that significant to us? It's significant for you to understand the spiritual reality and the war that we're in. We're at war with, with sin. We're at war with death. We're at war with the devil. We need God to come and arrest people and to save them from their bondage and their sins. Now, a popular preacher on the radio believes you could accept Christ when you are Six, seven, eight, and yet never have fruits, never walk with Christ, never virtually not even live as a Christian. He even says you could reject Christ. But if you said it, raised your hand when you were eight, that you're completely saved. The Bible says no. The Bible says that if you truly were saved, your life would be changed. Now, I'm going to read some quotes I want you, and the reason why I'm reading these quotes is because I want you to understand that there is a huge lack of clarity on this issue. And when you don't have, a, uh, when you don't have clarity on the most basic understanding of Christianity, that is, who is saved, all ministry is confused. Okay? How do you disciple? How do you share the gospel? How do you preach, right? All of that is confused when you don't understand how God saves and how God changes. Okay? This is what one of this popular preacher on radio, he says this in his books, okay? Even if a believer for all practical purposes becomes an unbeliever, his salvation is not in jeopardy. What? Right, Mike? What? If a believer becomes an unbeliever, he's still, 
His salvation is not in jeopardy. Okay, let me, I'll read another one. Okay. There's a famous voice on the radio. Okay. And last, believers who lose or abandon their faith will retain their salvation. For God remains faithful. He is an unbelieving believer. That's what he's saying, right? That doesn't even make sense. Christ, here's another quote he says, Christ will not deny an unbelieving Christian. That's an oxymoron. There's no such thing. Okay. Right? Christ will not deny an unbelieving Christian his or her salvation because to do so would be to deny himself. That is false. Patently false. Okay. No, it doesn't. It shows that they were never saved. Now, we have to face this harsh reality, but we come to it with hope, brothers and sisters. If you know Christ and you know he has saved you in your darkest, deepest pit, he has rescued you from sin, right? He's put your feet on solid ground. He is cleansing you from the power of sin. He will put you out of the presence of sin when you are in heaven with him, right? If you know this to be the case, he could save But don't kid yourself and don't fool yourself with salvation that is not real, okay? Now, as a pastor, I'm supposed to protect that, right? I have to guard that. In fact, this is the reason, part of the reason why that's in the verse. Be aware, children, right? John is saying, be aware. Why? Because, why? Because children, what? Okay, we were in Mexico and these buses were running by, and Lele was running in the park. I just, come over here. You're not paying attention, right? The buses are going by. There is danger. So John says, pay attention, okay? And stay on the gospel. Don't veer. Why do you think he is writing to these people in the church? They're coming in the church. They're telling different doctrines in the church. They're changing the definition of a Christian in the church. You could live as a you could be a Christian and never live as one. That's false. When Christ saves you, you are changed forever. You are not perfect, but God has given you a new heart and you want to follow and obey him. And every time you sin, you hate it and you know you have to get right with him. Now, as a pastor, Paul tells the Timothy, he says, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Stand firm, hold on, protect. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Whose responsibility is it to protect the truth. Surely it's the pastors, but also what? Can you say, oh, the pastor is going to do it. Let him deal with it. Whose responsibility is it to protect the truth? In verse Timothy and chapter 3, he says this. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. 
I'm turning you there because I want you to see this, okay? He says, I am writing these things to you. I love it when someone is telling me why he's writing. It's very clear, right? Thesis statement right there. I am writing these things to you. Why, Paul? Why are you doing this, right? I want to know. Hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that, here it is, you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. Huh. So as we're together, he's telling us how we are to live, okay? Because we mess it up. We sin against each other. We're rude. We don't ask for forgiveness. We mess it up. Leadership is too strong. Uh, congregation is not as committed. That's, we just mess it up, right? And so God is now saying, I write so you'll know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church, okay? Now he's going to call the church what its name is, what it should be doing, what its responsibility. And we know that the church is not a building, right? I hope you don't think this is the church, right? This is not the church. The people of God are the church, right? We are a local expression of the universal church of God. He says here, the church, which is to the church of the living God, the, what does it say? Why don't you read it with me? The pillar and support. Man, that is weak. Let's try that again. The pillar and support of the truth. Wow. Brothers and sisters, he is calling each of you, if you are a believer in Christ, a member of Redeemer Bible Church, to be a pillar and a support of the truth. What does that mean? Pillar and support. There's a pillar right there, right? Weight supporting pillar, right? Um, when people make uh, rem uh, remodels or anything and they re renovate their home, what you don't want to do is remove the weight supporting beams, right? That's what you don't want to do, okay? Because the weight supporting beams is what keeps everything up, okay? The only thing, brothers and sisters, listen to me, okay? The only ordained means, the only organization, the only people who is to hold and who has been ordained by God to uphold, to defend, and to battle for the truth of Jesus Christ is the local church. Now the question is, are you doing it? Uh, I remember there's... So <laughs> you ever get in those points where people just mouth off, right? They're just mouthing off. And you know when you stand up for Christ, it could go either one of two ways, right? One huh, I want to hear that. Or two, I don't ever want to hear from you ever again. Right? Christian, are you willing to even sacrifice friends and relationships and family for Christ? He says, you are the pillar of truth. Maybe a few months back we, when we were, maybe it was a lot longer, there was a, 
there was a gentleman who was uh, coming to, who was attending here, this church, uh, our services. And as he was coming, he was teaching a false doctrine. Okay? And he wanted to come up front and teach a false doctrine. Okay? He goes, oh, I want to I show you guys how to do this. Okay? And I said, we're not going to do that. Right? Why? Because of this text. I'm called to retain the sound standard, right? To protect. We got to be loving bulldogs. Can we do that? We absolutely can. We got to be loving, but yet very, very firm. Why? Because the care of the flock is important, right? But what was interesting to me is when I said no, he went around to other dudes. He went to Jeremy. And then Jeremy said, no, we're not going to do that. I didn't even talk to Jeremy. Then he went around and went to Manny. Because Manny's so nice, right? So he went to Manny, and Manny says, no. And he started whipping out the scriptures. That's not what it says right here, right? It doesn't say that here. You are what? The pillar and the support of truth. And so how do we get to this point? Well, we have to grow in the unity of doctrine. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that God has given us pastors and evangelists so that we would grow and strive for the unity, it says, of the faith. Not a faith, not many faiths, as Hollywood likes to say, right? Or, or uh, the media wants to say, many faiths, a faith. No, the faith, one particular faith, the same faith that Jude says, once and all delivered for all the saints. That faith, that system, that whole body of knowledge and theology of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Do we hold? Will you hold? Or you just let it by? That's someone else's battle. It's your battle. It's your battle. Little children. I'm a little child. It's your battle. Protect the truth. Secondly, discern the truth. Discern the truth. First John chapter 2. Let's go back. First John chapter 2, it says in verses 20 to 23, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Not only are you called to protect, but you are called to discern. Discern the truth. Now, God has called you to discern. What does discern mean? Like, a lot of people don't use the word discern. The word discern means to divide between that which is good and evil, or to divide or decide that which is between that which is, that which is wrong and that which is right. Okay? It is the dividing factor. You have to have razor sharp. God is calling you to know the word of God. So how, you're going to say, well, how am I going to know this? You got to know the word of God. You got to be discipled. You got to be committed. You got to learn through the normal means. That is prayer, breaking of bread, fellowship, discipleship, all those normal means that God has given the church. Okay. But he says to discern the truth. All of those things are needed, yes, as you grow in it. But the first thing that you need is spiritual life. 
You can't understand any of this unless you have spiritual life. The basis of discerning truth first comes from the Holy Spirit. He says here, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know the Holy One here is the Holy Spirit. The word anointing, and it will follow in the text, has, has pictures and allusions all over Scripture of oil, of selection, of the Holy Spirit. And now he's saying, because you have come to Christ, because God has saved you, and now that the Holy Spirit is in you, now you understand what real doctrine is. Now you understand who Christ is. And I find this fact of Christianity so amazing. Because I will be preaching and teaching a doctrine and there will be a new believer or, or a believer who has not learned some of those doctrines. And as they learn, they go, that's what I always thought. You ever get that? I always thought that. No one's ever said it. No one's ever written it. What accounts for that? What accounts for it? Why you know the truth sitting down in your chair right now, if you know Christ is the very work of God in your life. And the Holy Spirit himself, the third person of the Trinity, speaking to Jamie, to Marlo, to Betty, to Nelson, speaking to you through his word. It isn't a matter of apologetics, although it's helpful. It isn't a matter of how many arguments or how eloquent someone can be. Although all those things are helpful. It is, by, it is by the very fact that the Holy Spirit resides in you. And that's why you could smell a fake. Notice he says here. Um, you need it because before Christ we have no real understanding. You can be completely bright. You can have PhDs behind your name and yet still not understand the word of God. I've seen it time and time again. I've told you stories of where I was at uh, UCSB and I was preaching, the, I was trying to share the gospel to my professor who was a New Testament scholar who didn't even know Christ. He had more PhDs behind his name than I even had letters in my name. He could read Greek back and forth. I was a lowly freshman in that school. And I said, do you know Christ? He goes, I don't. And this lowly freshman from Vallejo knew more about the things of God than he could ever know apart from Christ. Is that true? Yes, that's what the Bible says. I even know more than my teachers in Psalms. Right. This is why we are absolutely at the disposal, you need a work of God in your life to understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I need you to, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'd love for you to come with me to that text to see why do we need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. You cannot understand. You don't want to understand, and you can't understand apart from the Holy Spirit. It's not a matter of data. You ever get into, you could say, religious or even scientific arguments. You could keep arguing. It's not a matter of data. You could tell a, a, a smoker how many uh, evidences that it would be uh, that's against their health if they keep smoking. It's not a matter of data. Notice it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 
I'm going to start in verse 12. He says here, now we have received, oh, past tense. Paul is saying we, he's including himself with the church at Corinth. He says, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. He says, I got the Holy Spirit. Okay. And by the way, I have to say this. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Okay. You don't get saved and then wait for the Holy Spirit. That's not how, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Paul is already saying, we've all received. You'll see, it com- you'll see it continue on. We've all received of the Holy Spirit. Now he says here, that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Oh God, you gave me the Spirit so I could know. I could finally understand Scripture. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Verse 14, notice what he says. The natural man, that is the person who does not know Christ. Okay? The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are what? Foolishness to him. He cannot understand it because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritually appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. He's saying this, what? The person who doesn't know Christ, does not even have the capacity, the ability to understand about the things of Christ. He needs the Spirit of God. And this is why, this is amazing, right? This is why you could have two people visit your church, visit the church service. You preach the same sermon, right? One person completely, Completely rejects it. The other person sees it. Is their eyes are opened, and all of a sudden they believe. Why do you believe, brother and sister? It wasn't your own wisdom. It wasn't because you thought, "Oh, I come to the conclusion." I've used deductive reasoning. The reason why you believe is because the Holy Spirit worked in your life. No amen. That's it. Amen. That's amen, man. Amen. Right? When did this happen? It happened at salvation. You could write this down if you're taking notes. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you get saved, you have peace with God. In, and we have our introduction. Why don't you go there? I'm going to read too much. Why don't you go there? Romans chapter 5. It's so juicy. <laughs> I want you to see it, okay? Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, he's saying, those who have exercised faith in Christ, you are now justified. Justified simply means that you are declared righteous. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done. And you connect to him through this instrument called faith. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace. Oh, do you love that? Do you love that? You have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we exalt in our tribulations, perseverance, 
character, hope. Look at this, verse 5. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God, past tense, here it is, okay, has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It happened when you were saved. Let me share with you another verse since we're here, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. How do you know it's true? I can tell you all the evidences. I can tell you that the Bible is 66 books written by over 40 authors with one consistent theme. I can tell you about the, the discovery of the Hittites. I can tell you about the discovery of uh, ancient Near East. I can tell you about how all other mythology has, uh, of different pagan groups have centered around different Noahic uh, stories or Noah stories or different uh, stories about creation and how they have all mirrored that. I can tell you how, how, how everyone has a uh, building that looks like the Tower of Babel, like a ziggurat, how all, the, all over the whole world there is that kind of design of a, of a building because it was just like the Tower of Babel. I can tell you how Genesis chapter 11 is the, is the text that even unbelievers go to to talk about the dispersion of all the races and of all the different people groups. I could go on and on and on and on. I could talk about how Luke, when he wrote in Acts, how he used this particular word for uh, the pre-council that was only used within a two-year time frame. I can tell you all of those things. But it doesn't save. It doesn't change. It doesn't tell you what is true. I need something that goes deeper. And it is something that I cannot do. The Holy Spirit has to speak to your inner man. Your heart. Romans chapter. I think it's uh, 8. Romans chapter 8. I love this. For verse 15, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Right. So now you're a child. And now you just pray, God, Father, help me. Look at this. Look at this. This is what John is talking about. You already know John is going to say this. Why do you already know? Look at verse 16. The Spirit himself. Emphasis. It doesn't have to have that. It could have just said the Spirit. Okay. In the Greek, it has now a reflexive word. The Spirit himself testifies where? Where? Testifies with our spirit. What does that mean? That we are children of God. What does that mean? He is saying this. This is an amazing, amazing truth. That the, sec the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God, is speaking to your spirit and saying, yes, that's right. Yes, that's true. When the Word of God is preached, when you read the Word of God, your heart is saying, yes, that's true. Yes, that's correct. The Spirit is testifying with your spirit. And that's why you supernaturally already know. I love to tell the story. Mike's not going to get embarrassed. But Mike, um, he, I'll, I'll let you tell the story because it's a, it's a great story uh, of the other details. I'll just say he got arrested. Can I just say that? Okay, he got arrested, right? 
<laughs> That's a funny way to intro, right? Um, if you want to hear the whole story, go ask him. It is riveting. It's riveting what God did. Okay? He was arrested, and he got saved. In jail, I think. Was it jail? He was a captive audience. Okay? Captive audience. Right? He got saved, right? After there was just this amazing string of events how God released him. And as he was going, um, he just got saved, and then this cult started to woo him. Now, he read in the Bible, but he wasn't really schooled in the Bible. He didn't understand full doctrine. He didn't understand... Uh, justification by faith he didn't understand it but they started to preach to him and tell him you have to do this this and this and this and this to get saved if you don't do these things to get saved you're not saved and it astounded me that even as a new christian god's spirit would testify with his spirit and he he says okay i hear what you're saying but and in the back of his mind he always said you know that doesn't seem right that's not what I think the Bible says. No one's discipled him. No one's taught him. He was saved going to, and then all of a sudden, God just pulls him out of that cult, right? And he starts, someone starts to teach him the gospel in its truth, and in its entirety, in its freeness. That's the sweetness of the gospel in there. In its freeness. And so, that's all, you know, and the rest is history. Mike has been following Christ. He loves the Lord Jesus Christ. But it still astounds me. How did he know it was the anointing of God? And see, we pray for this. I hope you guys know this. Every Sunday, we pray for this. Every Wednesday, we pray for this. That God, would you bring the rhetoric of your spirit that which goes much deeper than words. That which much goes much deeper to testify to their spirit so they would see their sin and see the beauty of Christ. You can't discern, going back to our point, you can't discern truth without the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. You can't discern without the Holy Spirit. Now, there are marks, there are marks, and it says, Verses 22 to 23, who is the liar, but one who denies Jesus Christ. And so they were proto-Gnostics. You know, we, we were talking about these teachers who were coming into the church. They were saying that Jesus was not fully God, not fully man. He was a phantom. He was an image. He was not fully God. And yet John calls them liars. And then it says the one who confesses the son has the father also. He's talking about those who say the same thing. That's what confession means. They hold on to the truth. We hold on to the confession, Hebrews chapter 4. And lastly, how do you live in the truth? You protect the truth. You discern the truth. And then lastly, you cling to the truth. And I'm going to go through this rather quickly because of, of time. But you cling to the truth, verses 24 to 25. As for you, abide in which you heard from the beginning. What beginning? The beginning when you first heard Christ, okay? If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. If you hold to Christ, you have true relationship and eternal life in Him. That's a promise you could take to the bank. You don't have to 
ever doubt if you truly and love know Jesus Christ and you believe in him for salvation, you have eternal life. And then his truth grants promise. His truth gives protection. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. Let me end with this. Turn with me to John, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 8. The Gospel of John, chapter 8. You protect the truth. You discern the truth. You're able to discern because the Holy Spirit's work in your life. It's amazing. You're able to cling to the truth, his promises, right? This is living, amen? Not existing. I don't want to exist. I want to live. I have come that they might have what? Life and have it meagerly. Have it in poverty. What does it say? That they might have life and have it abundant. Richly. Did you know God says when you turn to Christ, you have eternal life right now. And this is eternal life. Right? That they know thee, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is defined as knowing God. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. This is what Jesus says. If you hold on to the truth, if you protect the truth, discern the truth, cling to the truth, you live in it. This is what Jesus says about you. And this is glorious. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. So Jesus was saying to those Jews, verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Verse 32. These are precious words that the Savior gives to you. Okay, And you will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Free to serve God. Free from the power of sin. Free from its domination over your life. Free from the punishment of sin. Free from the presence of sin in the future. You will be set free. Oh, brother and sister, live in this truth. If you do not know this truth, if you don't know who Christ is and you want to, please talk to me, talk to Jeremy, talk to Manny. Talk to Nelson. Talk to any of us. We'd love to talk to you. But thank you for joining us this morning. Why don't we pray? Father in heaven, thank you that you have freed us. You freed us by your truth. You tell us to protect it. You tell us to discern it. You tell us to cling to it. Father, we pray that we would grow in more of the same. That we would abide as John said, to remain and abide in truth. To be saturated in it. To grow in it. To constantly feed ourselves in truth. We pray, Father, you would do that work. Thank you for all who are here. We pray that your word would have its perfect work in their life by surrendering to Christ. Loving Christ. Clinging to him and then growing in him. Help us to sing. Bless the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen.